Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, 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 welcome to episode 108 of the New Ice City Podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercogliano of the USA Today Network, and we have so much to get into on today's episode as we sit here on Friday, April 21st. It's beautiful outside, and I'm sure it feels like a beautiful day for all of you Rangers fans out there because your New York Rangers are up by a two to nothing margin in their first round series against the New Jersey Devils. We're going to dissect that in a bunch of different ways over the course of this episode. I want to make sure right off the top I say a big thank you to the guy who submitted this week's intro track. That would be Jason Shire. That was a song that you just heard from his band, God of Fire. That one will certainly woke you up in the morning. It has me feeling more awake now, which I needed. I'm running on fumes and coffee because I've been working very late every night. Got home about 1 o'clock in the morning following Game 2 in Newark on Thursday night. little side note. My fiance is away right now. It's her bachelorette party weekend, so I am single dadding it this weekend while also covering the Rangers, getting ready to go to practice in a little while. Thankfully, I was able to get the little guy off to daycare this morning, but sleep is hard to come by these days, but that's fine because this is such an exciting time of year, and I'm really pumped up to bring this episode to you guys today. We decided to wait until after game two, see how both games played out in Newark, and then kind of preview what's ahead with the two games to come at Madison Square Garden on Saturday and then on Monday. To help us do that, we have one of our favorite guests coming on the show this week. That is Steve Valaket. A lot of you know him from MSG Network. Really, in my opinion, one of the better analysts out there because he brings the perspective of a former player. I think he's great on TV. He's super relatable, but he also works in the analytics. His site, ClearSight Analytics, is one of my favorite ones to use. They go a little more in depth. I think what they put out is a little more sophisticated than what you'll find on a lot of the publicly available sites. So Steve can do stats, but he can also do eye tests. He can do it all. So we're going to have him on in a little while to talk about what we've seen from the Rangers in this series so far. But first, let's you and I start by diving into these first two games, which, quite frankly, folks, they could not have gone much better for the Rangers. They win game one by a 5-1 to margin on Tuesday. They win game two by a 5-1 to margin on Thursday. Both of them were absolute no doubters for the Rangers where the outcome of the game was never really in question. Even on Thursday, the Devils take that one nothing lead in the first period, but it felt like the Rangers were still in control. It felt like the Rangers were right there with them. You knew the Devils were going to make a push coming off of that disappointment in game one, but they never really seemed to overwhelm the Rangers. And then in the second period, the Rangers just took off and dominated the final 40 minutes of that game. They get three goals in the second period, another two goals in the third, and they kept the Devils off the score sheet from that point forward. So really complete efforts from the Rangers in both of these games. Now, they've downplayed the experience factor, But to me, I think it's showing up in a big way. I don't want to go so far as to say I know exactly what's going on in the heads of these young Devils players, whether they're nervous or feeling jitters. But if you watch the way that these games play out, the poise that the Rangers have had in every situation has far outweighed what we've seen from the Devils. 
They never seem to get too high or low. They have been doing exactly what they need to do in pretty much every facet of the game, which I want to get into. And they just look like a team that is in control and confident and knows exactly what they need to do to win, whereas the Devils look a little unsure of themselves. They're trying to play that fast-paced attacking style that we previewed a lot last week when we spoke to Dan Rosen. And they still have that advantage as far as team speed, but the Rangers are finding ways to smother that and keep that under control. And the Devils don't really seem to have a plan B. They don't really seem to have other ways to beat you. And I do believe that for a lot of these guys, their key players, whether it's Jack Hughes, Nico Heischer, Jesper Bratt, all these guys, this being their first playoff experience, they have to learn what it takes to win at this time of year. The intensity ramps up. And it's not that these games have been overly physical. They're certainly more physical than what we saw between these two teams during the regular season. But neither of these teams are built to really play a heavy game and wear you down. But the Rangers know the principles that it takes to win at this time of year when the time and space cuts down. Everything on the ice is tighter in the playoffs, and the Rangers are doing the little things, advancing pucks the right way, avoiding turnovers, not shooting themselves in the foot, whereas the Devils look like they're forcing things a little bit more. And to me, I do think experience is a factor, even though if you ask Gerard Galan about that, he's going to push back hard. I think that's part of it. But also on top of that, as I mentioned, the Rangers just look like the more complete team. Igor Shosturkin has been outstanding in both of these two games. He hasn't needed to stand on his head, although I think he did more of that in game one than he needed to in game two. He's been outstanding, but the power play has been lights out. The Rangers got a pair of power play goals in both games. That top unit, I know people were saying, is Patrick Kane really the right fit as that fifth man on that unit? Should they consider Vladimir Tarasenko? Well, You saw what they did on Thursday. Kane had the primary assists on both goals, which came from Chris Kreider. He has all four power play goals for the Rangers in this series. And it just looks like everything is clicking for that unit right now. And quite frankly, it looks like the Devils are just forgetting that Chris Kreider is one of the best net front guys in the world. And they're just letting him hang around there way too much. Lindy Ruff called it blown coverage after the game. It's amazing to me how repeatedly on these power plays, Chris Kreider is finding himself wide open at the front of the devil's net. Like, you guys know he's going to do that, right? I know there's all these other threats. I know that Mika Zibanejad one-timer is probably the primary thing that teams try to take away from the Rangers on the power play. But when you've got Adam Fox, Artemi Panarin, Patrick Kane, and Chris Kreider, who, again, is one of the best that there is at those tips and those deflections around the net front— You can't forget about a guy like that right there. And so the Devils have not been good on the penalty kill, but I think the Rangers have been excellent as far as their power play goes. The puck management was such a big theme from this coaching staff heading into the series, and the Rangers have done an excellent job with that. They're still putting up goals. Ten goals in two games is great offensive production. So it's not like they are taking themselves out of their game or neutering their skill, but they have not had many of those turnovers, especially in the neutral zone, that can fuel a fast transition team like the Devils. They only have, now you guys know I don't completely trust the stats that the NHL puts out there as far as turnovers, but it's pretty much all we have to look at. And I do think that this feels like a pretty accurate number. The Rangers have only been charged with nine giveaways combined in the first two games. The Devils are like quadruple that. So the Rangers are protecting the puck really well, making smart decisions with the puck, not giving the Devils those odd man rushes that they thrive off of. And the Rangers' defense has been outstanding in this series. That's kind of overlooked because you've got Kreider racking up the power play goals. You've got Patrick Kane putting up three points, you've got all these offensive stars, and you've got Igor, of course, doing what Igor does in net. But the defense for the Rangers in this series has been 
One of the biggest storylines to me, they have only allowed two goals in the two games, but neither of those goals have come at five on five. I repeat, the Rangers have not allowed a goal at five on five in this series. Their penalty kill has been outstanding. My favorite stat from game one was that in four power play opportunities, the Rangers did not allow the Devils to put even one shot on goal. Now, they did give up a power play goal on Thursday in game two at the very end of a power play. I think there was four seconds left when Eric Halla got that rebound. But overall, the penalty kill has been outstanding. And I think some of the finer details that I'm noticing too, you know that the Devils are a team that loves those cross-ice passes, that east-west kind of playing style. You know that guys like Hughes are not going to necessarily always go straight ahead. And if they see a guy open on the backside, they're going to try to take advantage of that. Well, the Rangers seem hyper aware of that. And I think they've been doing a really good job, not only of staying tight on their men, but getting sticks into those passing lanes and disrupting what the Devils are trying to do, especially in transition. Jack Hughes has kind of been a turnover machine in these first few games. And you feel for the guy, you know that he's trying to get his team going. And there's a lot of pressure on him. I was thinking about this the other day. You compare the pressure that's on Jack Hughes in this series compared to some of the Rangers' high draft picks like Alexi Lafreniere and Capo Caco. Those young guys for the Rangers seem loose and free because they know it's not all on their shoulders. They know they have Mika Zibanejad and Artemi Panarin and Chris Kreider and Adam Fox who can carry the weight, and they just have to play their roles. And you saw those guys have a couple of solid games. Caco gets a goal at the end of game two, whereas with the Devils, if Hughes isn't rolling and he sure isn't rolling and Brat isn't rolling, then the Devils aren't going to win the game, point blank. So you feel for the guy, it's going to be a feeling out process for him as far as adjusting to the playoff style. We know he's a smaller player. We know the Rangers are going to try to stay tight on him, push him around when they get the opportunity to do so. And It's probably a tall order. It might be too much to ask to have him carry a team like the Devils with all their inexperience through their first playoff run against such a quality team like the Rangers. He's only 21 years old still. I'm sure he's going to have other cracks at it. I'm sure he's going to learn from this experience. But right now, they seem overmatched. And again, the Rangers are just doing all the little things. They're not giving those guys the passing lanes that they're looking for. They've blocked almost 40 shots so far through these first two games. They are sacrificing their body. Again, they're not hitting maybe as much as they did last year, but that fourth line is so effective in their role, and even the guys further up in the lineup, you're seeing them put their bodies on the line to protect these leads and limit the opportunities for the Devils. So there just seems to be such a complete buy-in for the Rangers right now from top to bottom. Obviously, the story in game two was Patrick Kane and Chris Kreider. Kane was pretty quiet in game one, and he told us on Thursday night that he thought he was too passive. He was trying to play it a little bit too safe. Then he breaks out in game two. He had a pair of assists, as I mentioned, on both Kreider power play goals, but really the play of the night for him was that goal that he scored in the third period. Probably the most memorable play of this series so far for the Rangers. Really sealed that win. It pushed their lead to 4-1 to one and ended any hopes that the Devils had of a comeback. And the thing that you love about that play, not to make Kane out to be some defensive wizard, but it started in the defensive zone. He saw an opportunity with Brock kind of turning his back to him to go and lift his stick and pick his pocket and create that takeaway. And then he's off to the races. And he said he knew he had Kreider coming down on the other wing and he knew Kreider had a chance at a hat trick and he wanted to get him the puck, but there was a defenseman kind of blocking that passing lane. So Kane very calmly goes in on Vanacek, the devil's goalie, goes forehand to backhand and then roofs that that shot that was about as pretty as they come. And again, that really kind of sealed the deal for the Rangers on Thursday night. So he gets three points. You know that had to feel good for him. He was very open about that after the game, how special it was for him 
to get his first playoff goal as a Ranger and to feel like he's contributing the way that he wants to. And I mentioned this on SNY after the game on Thursday night. Nothing that Patrick Kane did in the regular season for the Rangers mattered. They got him with about 20 games left to go. At that point, we all knew they were going to the playoffs. They gave him a couple nights off to try to rest that hip injury. But none of that matters. If he can put together a handful of games throughout this playoff run like he did on Thursday, that's why the Rangers went and got that guy. He might not be the guy every night. We know that he's not in his prime anymore. We know that the hip is a lingering concern, although he seems to be working through that pretty well right now. But if he can give you some of those special moments and he can come up clutch in those clutch situations, you're getting your money's worth, especially when you know you're only paying the guy a quarter of his salary. So for the Rangers, you had to love to see that. And then on the other hand, you have to love what you're seeing from Chris Kreider. And he, his postgame comments have been very much the opposite of Kane, where Kane is an open book, and I think he's very honest and talkative, and he admitted that it was a special moment for him. Chris Kreider, when you ask him about scoring multiple goals in both games, he responds by talking about, well, the next game's going to be harder. We got to be ready for that one. This guy stands by not talking about himself. You can try all you want. I've been trying for four years. He's just not going to do it. So you kind of have to accept it. And I mean, this guy is in cyborg mode right now. He is so focused, so locked in. I do not think, I mean, I know I haven't, I don't know if anybody else has, but I have not seen him off the ice smile all week. He is just all business all the time. The running joke after game one, he said, well, the hardest game to win is always game two. And then he was reminded of that comment after the game two win. And he said, no, no, I meant the hardest game to win is game three. So he's doing everything that he can to keep his team focused, keep himself focused. And of all the guys on this team, we know he's been here longer than anybody else. We know he's come close to the Stanley Cup, but has not yet won one. I would venture to say that it probably means just as much, if not more to him than anybody else on that roster to get it done now. He knows he's into his 30s now. He knows that they've come so close and how difficult it is to get over that hump. And he knows, I or believes, I, I should say, that they have the roster to get it done right now. And that's why... This guy's not going to be talking about no matter how many goals he scores, he broke the franchise record for most playoff goals in franchise history, which is kind of crazy to wrap your head around. He passed Rod Gilbert. He now has 38 playoff goals in his Rangers career with what we expect to be several years to come to add to that total. But Kreider is absolutely locked in. Vladimir Tarasenko showing up in a big way. He scored the first goal in both games. And again, he's not on the top power play unit but this is a guy who's showing he can produce at five on five. I wrote a story about him that I would encourage you guys to all check out at loha.com slash sports slash Rangers that went up on Wednesday. I talked to him. I talked to a bunch of his teammates about, number one, what he brings on the ice. And what I feel like I'm learning about him, obviously he's an established scorer and we're seeing that play out. But the guy is chiseled. He is built. He's over six feet tall. He's like 230, and he's strong, and he's not afraid to go into those corner battles and those one-on-one -on -one battles. And even when he has the puck, you kind of just see defensemen bounce off of him. Nico Mikola was talking a lot about that when he first got to St. Louis and started practicing against Tarasenko, how he realized how difficult it is to move him, to push him around, and to get the puck away from him. So Tarasenko seems like he's built for this playoff style and he's been huge for the Rangers in these first couple games and he's also been big in the locker room he he has garnered a lot of respect from his teammates he's another one of those guys that goes about his business the right way and he says the right things he keeps shifting the focus back to the team very much like Chris Kreider and I think he's a guy that is really fit in well since he's come to New York and another guy I got to mention here because he kind of flies under the radar, but he has six assists in the first two games of this series, and he's also playing really good defense, is Adam Fox. So a lot of the Rangers' big guns have been showing up early on. Now, you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself, but I have to tell you, 
I have a really tough time seeing the Devils come back in this series. My pick to begin the series was Rangers in seven. I felt pretty confident that the Rangers would win the series, but based on my experience covering the team and based on what we saw in the playoffs last year, they just always seem to have this knack for making things really difficult. We saw two game sevens last year. We've seen, I don't know how many overtime games this year. So even though you feel like they, they always find ways to win, they always seem to make things pretty difficult on themselves at the same time. But right now, they are in complete control. They are rolling. And I, if you ask me today, certainly feel like this is going to be a shorter series than seven games. And, you know, I'm sure they're not going to talk about this. I know they're not going to look too far ahead, but we can do it. With how banged up the Carolina Hurricanes look, and they currently have a 2 to nothing series lead over the New York Islanders on the other side of the bracket from the Rangers, you have to feel pretty good about the Rangers' chances of getting to the Eastern Conference Final. I, I know, getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but the Canes just lost Tara Vinen, who's one of their best remaining forwards, to a broken wrist. They already don't have Svechnikov and Pacioretty. They're really, really banged up. The Rangers have proven that they can beat that team. And, of course, they have to keep playing at this level, this complete game that we're talking about. But if they can do that, you kind of feel like they're on a collision course to maybe get back to that Eastern Conference final. Who knows? Maybe the Devils steal one in Game 3, and then the narrative completely changes. But right now, on the day that I'm talking to you guys, the Rangers look poised. They look in control. They look like they're doing all the little things right. And they look like they flipped that switch. We talked about after they clinched the playoff spot, they seemed to go into a little bit of a lull. They weren't playing their best hockey in those last handful of games leading into the playoffs. But in my opinion, all season long, this team has been anxiously awaiting the chance to get back into the playoffs. That taste of success that they had last year, it wet their beak, and now they want to take this thing a step further, and they look like a team that was ready to go from the drop of the puck in game one. They have totally flipped that switch, and and they look really good right now. You know, again, this could change. The playoffs are fickle. Gerard Glant talks about it all the time from one game to the next Things can completely change. Momentum does not necessarily carry over from one game to the next, and they're guarding against that complacency. We heard Jacob Truba talk about it after the game two win, pointing out that they've seen series turn in a flash. They were on the other end of it last year where they were the team that was in a hole, and then they rallied back. So I don't think that they're going to take their foot off the gas pedal. That, that's definitely a point of emphasis right now. And if they can keep their foot on that gas pedal – Things are certainly looking up for the Rangers right now. So with that, let's get to our interview with Valley, and then I'll come back after that interview to answer some of your weekly Twitter questions. Now let's welcome into the show a man who is going to help us break down everything that we've seen so far in the series between the Rangers and the Devils and look ahead to what might be coming over the weekend, you guys will certainly recognize him from MSG Network, which I should mention right off the top. They have pre- and post-game coverage on Saturday for Game 3. The game itself will be on ABC. But then for Monday, Game 4, MSG is going to have full coverage, including the game. And that is one of our favorite analysts from MSG, really one of our favorite analysts everywhere, Steve Valiquette. So, Valley, thank you so much for joining us. I know you're crazy busy. We're all crazy busy, but I'm excited to chat with you today. No, me too, Vince. I'll tell you what, man. I just came into the city. I checked into my hotel room. It's buzzing. The Knicks are playing tonight at the Garden. Got the Rangers Devils tomorrow. This is a city ready to erupt right now. So glad to catch up with you and uh, let's have some fun doing this, man. Yeah, for sure. You know, just a side note, I just came out of the locker room for practice and the excitement that the players have to step on the ice in front of this MSG crowd and the energy that's going to be in the building regardless of what happened in the first two games you knew the place was going to be lively but coming off those two wins in the convincing fashion that the rangers had them they are just going to shower this team with love you have to believe on saturday i mean that place is probably going to be crazy and i know i want to get into some of the specifics with you but just on that note as a whole fans are feeling great right now 
The players are feeling great, although they seem super focused on the next task at hand. They are certainly not basking in anything that they've done so far. But you and I can bask a little bit, I guess, right here. How impressed just overall are you with what you've seen so far in the first two games of this series? Well, really impressed because when you go back over the last two weeks before the playoffs began, there were a lot of pillow fight type games. Yeah. And how do you really prepare for the big dance and play with the energy that you need, the enthusiasm, the connected emotion when the last two weeks were rather bland and I was worried about how the Rangers were going to react. Were they able to check and ramp it up and play against the best rush team in the NHL and the New Jersey Devils and be able to bring it at that level, stay on the right side of their check, all of the details that you need that have to be on point. Look, even changing, like line changes were very lackadaisical in the last two weeks. And it's got to be at F1 speed when you get into the playoffs. I'm really happy with what I'm seeing because – the team has reacted like a group of veterans being able to flick the switch, knowing what needs to be done, being coachable, being able to set example for one another. They've shut down the New Jersey Devils rush game. They've done it. And it's it's remarkable, really. Last night's game, the Devils had six rush chances off the rush that they were able to get through all three zones and get a shot on goal. They only had three transition rush chances where the Rangers were stopped in the neutral zone and the Devils came back against them. That's nine total chances compared to game one where they had 17. And you know what I'm looking, I'm looking at this and I, and I really do take this point seriously. I think we're going to look back at this series and say there was a significant misstep by New Jersey changing their lines after the first game. They had a good first game. The only difference was Vitek Vanacek was not Igor Shosturkin. Had the roles flipped in that game, I think the score easily could have been the other way. Mm. So I, I think the bad take is they really shouldn't have juggled their lines. And I think that it's not just the fact that they want to change it up after game one with the Devils, but the Devils send a wrong mindset to everybody in their group saying, you know, we're not sure about you guys and maybe we're not big enough and maybe we're not stout enough on defense and maybe our PK has got to, I thought they should have stuck with it. They would have been all right. I think they would have been better off last night. Had they just stuck with the same lineup they had in game one. Interesting. And now game three, the lines are going to look completely different again. It looks like based oh. on, based on what I saw from their practice today. So they're making even more changes, bringing to th- see the third set of new lines from the devils. And, and you mentioned shutting down the rush game. I definitely want to talk about that, but I also want to get your, your perspective as a former player on this. Cause you mentioned flipping the switch and we all saw it once the Rangers clinched that playoff spot, they went into a little bit of a lull. And even some of the players will tell you early on in the season, it took them a while to really ramp up and get going. And I think you have to believe that given the success that they had last year and the grueling playoff run that they had last year, that in the back of their minds, whether they're going to admit it or not, that they knew the season was all about getting back to the playoffs and and taking another crack at it and trying to get even further than they did last year. So I, like you, am so impressed with the fact that they were able to just turn it on and be so sharp right from puck drop in game one. I mean, can you speak to that from a player's perspective when when you know that your ultimate goal is much bigger than anything that's going to happen in the regular season, how you kind of get through that and then what it says about this group that they were ready to go right away, even though in the in the weeks you know prior to the playoffs, it looked like maybe they weren't on top of their game? Yeah, you know, I'm really interesting, you know, interested to read your articles on breakup day. And hopefully it's after a Stanley Cup. But you'll be able to get some truths out of the players with that because I guess and I'd imagine that you're going to get the sense that the players will want to open up and say the final two weeks of the season were tough. The first month of the season was tough. It's hard to look at 82 and see that mountain when you just want to get right back to what was the fun part playoffs. Yep. Yep. And I think you're going to get some deep honesty on that on breakup day, but you won't hear it until then. And that's fine. We can wait. And, you know, as far as getting into the Stanley Cup playoffs, I was a part of four with the Rangers, but each year Henrik was getting us in on the last day of the regular season. So it was never a two week lull before we actually began. And um, looking even back to my minor league career, I feel like we always had a battle to get in. So I, I I didn't really experience that, but 
I think it's also like where you see in the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs over the years, the difficulty teams have sweeping a first round and going up in the second round against a team that finishes in seven. Mm -hmm. I know that there's been six of those in the last 10 years and five have gone in favor of the team that went seven. So rest versus rust. And, and, you know, you wonder where that's going to fit for the Rangers down the uh, stretch here, especially if they finish in four, but of course we're getting ahead of ourselves. We can do that. The players certainly can't afford to do that, but everybody's probably pretty excited about how they feel because they've dominated play for at least the last three periods and the previous game, they were able to muscle through a, a bit of a, you know, even start, but being able to play the way they have and shut down the game that really has dominated for the devils for the entire season, which is off the rush. I mean, they're the best rush team in the, in the league. You know, I feel like that's, that's a, a high order for them to have to be able to check that well to shut them down and says a lot about how you can adjust during a playoff too, because you're going to face different opponents that have different strengths. Yeah, I know that that you guys at Clearside Analytics had them as the number one rush team in the NHL this season. They don't have a single goal at five on five so far in this series. They got the penalty shot goal from Hughes and they got the power play rebound in game two. And that's it. What are you seeing from the Rangers that's slowing the Devils down as effectively as they are, especially in game two? So it's interesting because I felt like in game one that understanding there were 10 devils playing their first playoff game and jitters and those types of things. Okay. I get it. And I, and I do game two. I mean, it's almost inexplicable. The devils had three high danger chances and I didn't think their lines gelled. I didn't think that a lot of their players are able to play five on five playoff hockey and a lot of their top guys. I mean, I don't even know if Jesper Bratz really played you know, and there's there's some big guys over there that have to answer questions at the end of the series if it doesn't go well for them. And if it continues to go at this rate, it looks like it's going to be over early. Are the are the Rangers that understanding of the moment that they are almost having the intangibles in line and the the confidence coming from the cups, maybe from Kane? And there was one instance last night in the second period that really stuck with me, and it was second period where Kane is pointing across the ice to get a dump. He wanted the puck in deep and he wanted to get in on the four check and the Rangers turned it over at the offensive blue line. The puck went the other way. Then there was a, I don't know, maybe a seven or 10 second lull. And then it was back on Kane's stick at center ice and he dumps it himself. He gets it in deep. He gets to work. He gets to the slot. He gets a scoring chance. And that started that wave of offense in the second period that went back and forth. And Shosturkin mixed in a big glove save during that sequence. And then it goes back down the other way and the Rangers score. And they kept they kept scoring in the second period. But they get on the power play because of how well they're playing on the right side of the puck. They're absolutely frustrating the Devils. But, I, you know, you look at their giveaways, Vince, and, like, that's always the, uh, the true test for me with the Ranger team. They had six giveaways last night. They only had three in game one. Down the stretch, we were seeing games where they'd have 22 in a game. Yep. So, like – what did they change or how are they checking or have they just taken a lot of risk out of their game? And are they listening to the voice in the locker room from the Tarasenko's and the Canes? They, I mean, Kane get they, the Rangers score after Kane is pointing to get it in deep and they follow it. I mean, you have to get the sense that he comes back to the bench. He's like, Hey boys, that's the way it goes. That's how it is in the playoffs. This is what we're doing out here. And it works. So the players buy in. And to me, it looks like everybody's, just pulling pulling the rope together there's no there's no bs in their game right now yeah and the, the puck management thing gallant has been harping on that a lot of different players have been talking about that and it, it seems like they're just being really smart and mika was talking about this today as well about picking their spots of, of when you go to make the play when you try to make one of those pretty passing sequences and when you do need to just get in on the four check and get the puck in deep and, and, and challenge them in that fashion and you know, going back to game one, because I, I was looking at the uh, chart that you put out with the high danger chances and all that kind of stuff. The expected goals in that game w was pretty even. And you touched on, obviously, the goaltending difference. And that was that was huge. But I thought that Lindy Ruff made a comment that, that rang true and stood out to me. He said the Rangers don't need as many shots as other teams to produce, which speaks to their elite finishing. 
They might mm-hmm. not need as many high danger scoring chances as some other teams to end up with goals. And we're seeing it now. They're not taking as many risks with the puck. They're being smarter with those decision making. And yet they're still scoring five goals a game. And, and a lot of that, I would think you probably agree, speaks to the elite finishing that they have because they have the Tarasenkos and the Kreiders and the guys like that, that when they do get their opportunities are going to capitalize. The, the power play, you know, the power play is insane right now. The power play is everything I ever hoped it would be because when they first started working with the one, three, one, a few years ago, it was very stationary and stagnant. You don't have all of the weapons, but right now it's almost like a uh, Kreider is able to have a rebirth and get new recognition again, because he's been forgotten about. Like you go back to game number one and you see the way that Graves was pulled away from where he should have held his ice with Kreider because of the attention of Kane. And he gets out of position there. And on the next Kreider goal, he tries to get net front. Kreider does because he's got to get away from Graves on that instance. And it's the same thing, same result, same looking goal. But those connections we didn't see through most of this regular season add Kane to the power play, which was really smart to stick with him staying in that spot starting game one. I just think that he gets so much attention out there. He's just such a player by reputation you know you look at him and you're mesmerized sometimes because we've seen him do great things in the nhl for so long and i feel like these younger guys specifically the uh tandem of marino and graves they're struggling out there Mm -hmm. they're getting keyed on and i think the biggest news for the rangers is being able to get the pucks in through the from the point and not look for anything else right now because that's what's given to you i feel like mcleod heisher Paula Mercer, they've all had difficulty being that first guy in the shot lane trying to get a block. They're lost. There was one of the goals last night where they're pointing at each other as Foxy's dancing up and down and sliding up and down the blue line and then being able to put sifters in at the net. Uh, Nobody can defend that. And now watch what happens tomorrow night. They're probably going to try and have somebody front him. And then Fox is going to be able to dish down the line to Zibanejad for a one-timer. Like you close one and you're going to open up another. There's two. Yeah. That's all there is to it. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what I wanted to ask you. And you kind of hit on it there. Like, yeah, I find myself and I think fans are probably thinking similarly, wondering how is Kreider open all the time? Like, don't they realize, hey, this guy's pretty effective around the net. We better keep an eye on him. But at the same time, I think what you're speaking to is because they have threats all over the ice in a five on four situation, you can't cover everybody and, and they keep finding ways to open things up. And Kreider has been the beneficiary so far. It's not going to happen. Like, look at five on four this year, Zibanejad had 12 one-timer goals. Okay. So do you think that's not the first thing these guys talk about on the yeah. free throw? You know? Yeah, of course. Of course. Okay, yeah. So There's a lot of attention going there. So you're in a diamond shape and what the Rangers are trying to do is break down the shape of their diamond. Well, Okay, go go. Uh, try and get your stick in a good lane to take away Zibanejad because you don't want Foxy as a righty to pass it down that seam to Zibanejad or to give it to Panarin for a pop play to Zibanejad. Who, again, Panarin. We're talking about Panarin, you know? And Kreider had 21 goals last year at five on four, right? So, like, I mean, you, I don't know. I, I'm looking at – I think we will talk about this power play in 10 years and laugh because – Zabanajad, Panarin, Kane, Fox, Kreider shouldn't all be allowed to be on a power play at the same time. Too much skill. Yeah, it really, I mean, it really it's is ridiculous, pretty... Vince. It's ridiculous. We will be laughing about this power play in 10 years. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so Valley, I want to ask you about the goalie. I, obviously, we have to go there. Your perspective on the season that he had and, and where he's at right now, because it was up and down for a while during the regular season. It's not that, that the first few months were... were Terrible for him, but it certainly was well below what we saw from him last year when he won the Vesna. He came out of the all-star break. He had a cold streak where he had eight or nine starts in a row that really weren't very good. But his last 16 starts of the regular season, he posted a 937 save percentage. He really looked like he found his game late in the year, and that seems to have carried over. He wasn't tested a ton in game two, but game one, I thought he was huge, and and you've touched on that as well. Is there anything specific that you could talk about or or touch on as far as what you were seeing from him earlier in the season when he was having some struggles versus what you're seeing now? Yeah, there was uh, definitely a point where – I was really concerned about how wide he was getting in his stance. And 
We have Joe Beans that does all the visual uh, work for us and all the editing for our pre and post and intermissions. And he has a measuring tool where he could take Shesterkin's left skate and his right skate and measure the distance between the two. Mm-hmm. All right. So we did this last year off the rush, same sequences. And we found that his feet were a foot and a half to, in some instances, two feet closer and underneath his shoulders than being out and wide. Now, when you get too wide in your stance, you're really only able to go one way, which is down when you get too wide. All of your power is on the outside of your shoulders. You can't be explosive explosive across the crease. You can't arrive on your feet. You get beat on broken plays because you get stuck. You end up on your stomach. You end up on your backside. What he's done now is he's brought his feet under him. We measured him right around the Montreal game, March 9th. And that's where I felt like I saw it. This guy is back to himself. He's going to get into a groove. And if you remember that game in Montreal, I don't know if you were there, but it was a game where he had some big saves in the second period. He had some big saves in the third period. And I'm like, all right, man, this looks like this looks like the guy I marveled over last year. And that's where he's at right now. His feet are back under him. It really brings his shoulders a little higher towards the crossbar. So when he's able to get into his butterfly, he's now back into that posture where his shoulders and his upper part of his chest look like they're hovering over the puck. That's that's the biggest and best body illusion that Igor can have while still being uh, at max explosiveness. And that's where he's at right now. Um, I was really pleased to see that he was the best goalie in our rankings from March 9th to the end of the season in expected goals. It was Igor, and then it wasn't even close. Like the mm-hmm. next closest guy was like five expected goals. So um, another thing, of course, I wanted to really take serious looking into the matchup with the Devils was how does Igor play off the rush? And of course, he's a top goalie last year. This season, he was ninth. Um, he had a 906 save percentage off the rush on 583 chances. Um, the one area that I was concerned with before the series would have been when the Rangers D back up and where off the rush, the good players in the league can use that D as a screen on their own goalie. Well, we haven't seen that yet in this series. The Rangers have protected really well. And again, going back to game one, although the Rangers allowed 17 off the rush chances on Igor, only three were high danger off the rush. So out of those 17, only three were high danger. Whereas the Rangers had nine off the rush chances in game one, four were high danger. So they had one more high danger than the devils with virtually half the chances, you know, and I'm looking at it. I'm like, Oh my goodness. So now I wanted to watch those 17 clips And that's where you get an understanding maybe to your previous question, which is what are they doing? I I wonder if it's a bit of a balance between the devils being okay, just getting a shot on goal off the rush and not testing themselves to get inside or to just lock in on the goalie and get a shot on goal and not look for a pass because they're maybe restricted from the coaching staff or don't have the confidence but the Rangers are very confident in the guy in their net. So they're allowing that shot. I call those the 99 percenters, the ones from outside the top of the circle off the rush or outside the dots off the rush. Shesterkin's going to stop those. And because the Rangers have so much more confidence in their goal events, they're able to then turn those plays and see where the puck is heading on net and be able to, understand where Igor oftentimes you, you've watched him too he'll put it off his blocker and then fuel the rush the other way or off his stick angle into the corners to allow the Rangers to then regroup and go there's a big difference between the confidence the Rangers have in Igor versus the confidence the Devils have in Vanacek he is the ultimate x factor we could dissect all these different facets of the game and the Rangers are, are really winning pretty much every situation so far in this series but the ultimate X factor against any team that they play is going to be Igor and having him playing at the level that he's playing at right now is massive for them. I, b- before I get you out of here, Valley, I mean, is there anything maybe a little more under the radar that we haven't touched on that you feel like has been important for the Rangers early on or on the other end of the spectrum is, is there any way you see the devils getting back in this series or do you think they're toast? I mean, any last things or thoughts you want to get out of here on? you know what I'm interested to see is Jack Hughes tomorrow night at Madison Square Garden because he is a special player. 
He is a special player. He was all over the ice in game one. If there's one guy that can turn it back around in their favor, it's going to be him. But I have to say, I, I certainly thought he had a he had a breakaway in the third period last night, but I thought he was getting frustrated. He was showing signs of frustration. And, you know, even in game one when he was as good as he was and he had the puck a lot, he had five giveaways. The Rangers only had three as a team. And that's the the big difference in this series for me so far is, is you can call it what you want, whether it's pressure, good sticks, it's uh, youth maybe and, and the learning. But I think when it's all said and done, I think the Devils are going to revisit this team and say this was a really good season. It was a really good team to get us in. But are we big enough, tough enough, fast enough to get through the bigger teams that are going to play us hard and heavy and take away time and space in the playoffs? Which is a realization the Rangers came to a couple of years ago as well. That's the growth of every team. And that's I think that's just where the devs are at right now. That's just where they're at. They're certainly a really good team. I respect them. They had an amazing season. But you need to know how to play different styles in the postseason. And I don't think they're ready to play at the level the Rangers are. Um, I just think the Rangers are too deep at every position, too. And they are, on paper, uh, the Rangers, markedly better at every position, in my opinion. Yep, yep, I agree with you there. All right, Valuable, thank you so much. Really appreciate you. We'll be watching you on MSG for the pre and post and all that good stuff throughout the the series. And I'm sure it will continue beyond this, at least the way that it looks so far. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Enjoy your hotel night in the city, and we'll talk yeah, soon. Baby. All right, thanks for having me on, Vince. Have a good one, buddy. All right. Welcome back. And thank you to Valley for coming on the show to have that conversation with us and dive into everything that we've seen in this series so far. Honestly, probably could have ended the show right on that because you know those interviews with Valley are always packed with information and packed with really interesting conversation and good tidbits. But I've got a little bit more time before I have to leave for practice. Not all that much, so I'm going to have to make this relatively short, but I do want to quickly jump into a few of your Twitter questions. So let's start with Arthur Tarley, who wrote, what's the level of importance of keeping the series as short as possible while also winning? Arthur, you know, (laughs) I see some of the comments in here and people are warning against getting too far ahead of ourselves or getting overconfident and the devils are still dangerous and all that kind of stuff. And it's all true. But I told you in the first segment that I do feel really good about the Rangers chances of winning this series. And we've also talked before on this podcast about how grueling it was for the Rangers to go through those two seven game series in each of the opening rounds last year and how I feel like they really ran out of gas by the time they got to games four, five, six of the Eastern Conference final against the Tampa Bay Lightning. So in an ideal scenario, you absolutely would like to have some shorter series mixed in here, especially in the early rounds. So if the Rangers could end this in four or five games, I think that would be a very positive thing for them. Now, the one concern is always rust. Let's say they were to sweep and they had to wait, I don't know, could be as long as maybe a week until the next series starts. Well, that's a lot of downtime and I think some of the good vibes, some of the momentum, some of the rhythm and the pace that they're playing with, you do risk losing that. But I think to keep your guys fresh, to keep your guys healthy, that is a trade-off that you would make pretty much any day. So maybe, you know, the series, if it goes five or six, that might work out as a kind of a happy medium. But Trust me, they're going to want to close this out as quickly as they can. They're going to want to put their foot on the devil's throat. They're certainly not going to scale back and say, well, maybe we should let this go a little bit longer because we want to make sure that we don't get rusty during any long layoff. I I believe they're going to try to close this one out as quickly as they can. Who knows? These next two games are at home. They already seized 
the Devils' home ice advantage by winning both games at Prudential Center. Now they come home to MSG, which you have to believe is going to be absolutely rocking on Saturday night when these Rangers, who the fans are thrilled with right now, take the ice. So there's a lot of reasons to believe that they could take care of business at home and then give themselves some rest heading into the next round. I'm sure they would get a couple days off. I'm sure they would also mix in a few hard practices to make sure that physically they're up to point and their stanima is where it needs to be. I'm sure they'd get some off-ice workouts in. I'm sure they'd do a lot of massaging and treatment and things like that to keep their bodies as sharp as they possibly can be. So this is the debate I think that happens in sports a lot, the sort of rest versus rust debate. But again, seeing what we saw the Rangers go through last year where they were run down after going through those long series in the first two rounds, if you could get a shorter series to start off the playoffs and give yourself some time to recover and then roll into the second round, basically with a clean slate being a completely fresh and rested team, I think you would rather take your chances in that scenario and feel like that gives you the best chance of taking your playoff run even further than you did last season. All right, let's get to our next question. And this is one I've been seeing coming up a lot in recent weeks. And Big Lou asked it today. So I think this is probably a good time to have the discussion given what he's done in the first two games. The question from Lou is, with the franchise records he's already set in these playoffs, has Kreider made it a certainty that he'll get his number retired? If they win the cup, well, Kreider's here, that's hands down 100%. But even if they don't, there's still going to be a really strong argument. We talked in the beginning of the show about Chris Kreider now holding the franchise record for most playoff goals of all time. And that's only going to grow that number. He has 38 goals right now. What's he going to end up with his, for his career? It's easy to see that number going into the 50s. And so that alone being such a prolific postseason score and sitting at number one on the franchise's all-time list for that, I mean, that alone has to give you a really good chance of getting your jersey number retired. But you also see Chris Kreider moving up that list of all-time leading scorers, period, when you look at regular season number for the Rangers. As far as goals scored, at the end of this regular season, he's sitting in fifth place all-time. He's only seven goals behind Andy Bathgate and only 15 goals behind Adam Graves. So next season, barring injury, you have to believe he's going to finish the season at third all-time on the Rangers' goal-scoring list. And then, who knows where he ends up. The all-time leader is Rod Gilbert with 406, and Kreider is at 265, so he's got a long way to go to catch Gilbert. But you have to think, at a minimum, he's going to end up as the third leading scorer in franchise history, and he'll have a chance to move up even further than that. So all of those things considered, and also consider that the four guys ahead of him all have their jerseys retired, I have to believe that there's a very good chance this guy is going to end up with his jersey hanging in the MSG rafters, and it's deserved. It doesn't feel like at any point in his career he's been the best player on the team even right now, when I did my rankings for most valuable players for the Rangers, he was pretty obviously number five this season behind Zabanajad, Fox, Shesterkin, and Panarin. And that's probably the order for the foreseeable future. So I guess to some people, they might look at it and say, if the guy's only the fifth best player on the team or the fifth most valuable player on the team, is that a guy who is going to end up with his number retired? But I think... When you look at it over the course of his whole career, how long he's been here, I believe he debuted, it's either 11 or 12 that he debuted with the Rangers. Of course, everyone remembers he made his debut in the playoffs, which put him on the map and got people excited about him and was really kind of a cool entrance into the NHL for him. But 
just looking at what he's done over the years, how consistent he's been. And now what we've seen in the last two years, especially when you look at his goal scoring numbers, is this is a guy who's gotten even better. He's taken off to the point now where you could argue he's been better or had his best seasons the last two years versus any previous year. So right around the time he hit 30 is kind of when it seemed like he, I don't want to say maxed out, but was in the center of his prime. And so if he keeps this up, if he's a 30-plus goal scorer a year for the next handful of years and keeps moving up that list, yeah, I feel pretty confident that number 20 will not be worn by anybody else once Chris Kreider either retires or moves on or, or whatever happens. All right. Let's get to our final question. Like I said, I got to make this a little bit quick, so we're going to end on a fun one here because I do have to get to practice. The Rangers are practicing at 1 o'clock on Friday at the MSG Training Center. This one comes from Michael Silvers, who wants to know, how was that pregame pastrami on rye? Michael, it was excellent. I want to say this about the good people of Newark, because I know Newark gets a bad rap, but spent... Quite a bit of time there in the last few weeks. Remember, the Rangers had that game toward the end of the regular season. And just to give you guys a little behind-the-scenes glimpse, when the Rangers play these games against the Devils in Jersey, what myself and a handful of the other writers have gotten in the habit of doing is we go out there for the morning skate, which is usually 11.30 in the morning. We write whatever we have to write earlier in the day, and then usually around lunchtime, we all go out and get lunch together. We end up spending the whole day in Newark, and we found these little gems that we really like. I can tell you, I have not had a bad meal in that city. Now, obviously, I've gotten some, some pretty good recommendations. There's a coffee shop that we absolutely love. I've been getting the fresh beans to bring them home, and the place where we got lunch on Thursday before game two and this is a highly recommended place, and that's where that picture came from that I tweeted out. It's called Hobby's Deli, H-O-B-B-Y-S. Excellent, excellent Jewish deli. If you like pastrami and corned beef or turkey, any of those homemade meats, and you like them in sandwich form, you cannot go wrong with this place. I didn't try it, but I heard the, the matzo ball soup is also excellent. And the people there were so friendly. They were so nice. I, I don't know if they recognized us as reporters or whatever, but they gave us some free cookies, and they were just so hospitable, even though they're all Devils fans. And I, they must have known that a lot of us are Rangers reporters, not that we're rooting for the Rangers or, or actively cheering for them or anything like that. But these guys were, were great. They treated us wonderfully, and we really enjoyed the meal. I got my Dr. Brown's black cherry soda on the side, which is my favorite compliment to a nice Jewish deli sandwich. I don't drink a lot of soda, but when I do, that's probably my favorite one. So great, great choice. If you're ever going to a game in Newark or just in Newark for whatever reason, I would highly recommend Hobbies as a deli to check out, and that sandwich was excellent. So big thank you to the staff there for treating us really well on Thursday. With that, we are going to end this week's episode. Thank you again to Valley. Thank you again to Jason Shire. You're about to hear his intro track submission to close us out on this week's episode once again. We got a few more. I think there's three more. So hopefully we'll get to one of those each of the next three episodes. And then in about a month, I'm going to sort through them. And I think what I'm probably going to end up doing is picking what seem to be the three or four, maybe five favorites from you guys. So if you have a favorite of the intro tracks you've heard in the last couple of months, let me know. And then we'll probably do some kind of a vote or something like that to decide on the intro track moving forward. But I think we've got three more in the tank after we get to Jason's intro track that you're about to hear right now. Last thing, as far as the timing of these episodes. Now, you guys know, usually during the regular season and during the offseason, we always try to release new episodes on Thursday mornings. But in talking with my editor and kind of plotting some things out, we want to space these out appropriately in between the games. And we decided let's do one episode after the first two games in Jersey, which is why you'll see this episode coming out on a Friday afternoon. And then we want to do another episode after the two games at home in Madison Square Garden. So the next episode, I'm going to be recording it on Tuesday. 
and it will be released Wednesday morning. So a little bit earlier than usual next week. Basically, today's episode and the next episode are going to come in a five-day period. So we're cutting down some time in between episodes when it feels like it makes sense to get them out to you guys a little bit quicker. And then there might be a time where, you know, maybe we take an extra day if there's a game that coincides with when we would usually record or what have you. So I'll keep you guys posted, but just know that next week's episode will be coming out on the morning of Wednesday, April 26th. All right. With that, love you guys. Thanks for listening. More playoff hockey coming to us this weekend. Enjoy it. And I will talk to you next week. going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.